Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Today we talk to Darren Clink. He's the CEO of Bluestone Resources. They're a Guatemalan gold explorer. We talk to him about funding and cash flow, liquidity and the need for it, plus the board director remuneration and package, plus junior market strategy. Hi, Darren. How are you, sir? Very well. Great to be here today. Yeah, fantastic. It's good to have you on. We've, we, we, we've had a couple of goes at it, but we, we finally managed to track you down. <laughs> jet setting around the world. Um, Darren, why don't we kick off, do, do the one minute summary on the business and then we'll get stuck into some questions. Sure, so Bluestone Resources, we're, we're listed on uh, both the, the Toronto uh, Stock Exchange Venture as well as on the OTC. Hmm. Um, but our, our primary focus is on the Cerro Blanco project in the southeastern part of Guatemala. We acquired this asset two years ago. Uh, Bluestone at that point, in fact, was really not much more than a shell company with $35 in the bank and, and one unpaid employee. Uh, and, uh, and today, uh, two years on, uh, we're right in the midst of putting the project financing package together to uh, really kick off development and construction activities on what is one of the world's highest grade undeveloped gold projects out there. It's had more than $200 million invested in it previously by Gold Corp and prior to that Glamis. It's high grade uh, and the feasibility study, which we, uh, we delivered earlier this year, demonstrated that it would uh, produce gold 130 to 150,000 ounces over the first three years at less than $600 an ounce all in sustaining costs. So great margins, uh, great project, really advanced, obviously. Um, and uh, it'll be one of the, you know, the next sort of projects on the development pipeline here over the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, that sounds, all sounds good. Um, just want to sort of talk about a few of the few of the things which kind of st stick out for me. Um, that I'd like to understand more about. So let's start with Guatemala, first of all, as a mining jurisdiction. Tell us a bit about that. Sure. My past experience, I spent 10 years with Oceana Gold, so worked in, in places like the Philippines and other parts of Southeast Asia. And, and no doubt, you know, Guatemala is a developing country. Most most people don't realize, in fact, that uh, Guatemala has had one, probably the most stable currency in Latin America in the last 10 years. Uh, and, and people kind of stop and say, well, why is that? Well, they have such a strong fiscal policy. They're not running big deficits. The, the economy has been growing at 2 to 4% per annum. Mm -hmm. uh, Harvard Business School uh, recently pegged it as being one of the, the 15 fastest growing economies over the next 15 years uh, in the world. Uh, and so, so from that perspective, it has a very good foundation, very strong links with the United States. It is a, it is a right of center, uh, pro-business uh, country. There's a lot of foreign investment, particularly out of uh, Canada and the U.S. that does come into Guatemala. Hmm. Uh, and so from that perspective, uh, you know, kind of comparing it up to other uh, jurisdictions where I've been involved with before in developing countries, I've been quite honestly positively surprised. What we've done uh, here over the last sort of 18 to 20 months is we've had a number of folks that have come down and visited, shareholders, analysts, uh, and of course now we're right in the midst of the project finance. So you've got uh, project banks, the commercial banks, uh, many of which are out of Europe, uh, and some of the uh, IFIs as well. Uh, and almost, you know, unequivocally, uh, folks come down with the perception, which I did as well, honestly, when I first went down there in April of 2017, having even the, the fact that I'd spent a fair bit of time in and out of places like El Salvador. Uh, my wife's family is from Mexico, so familiar with Latin America, uh, and come away with a very positive feeling, uh, not only in terms of the project and where it's located, uh, infrastructure to get there, 
but also the the system the fact that you know in guatemala there's a there's a set of rules there's a mining act we're held to account uh and it works so we're we're very excited about the project no doubt in this business whether you're in british columbia nevada queensland uh, or guatemala always plenty of bumps on the road and that's unequivocally we'll have that as well um, but I've been very happy so far. So, so what are people struggling to understand about your company? Because if I look at your market cap, I mean, um, until the gold price moved, it was sitting around 50 million bucks. It's up around 80, 80 today. Um, what, what, do you th- what do you think people are not getting to grips with? I mean, you've got gold and you've got geothermal um, story there. You've had a lot Thanks. of... Yeah, there's, there's, that, you mean, that, that, you know, I'd, I'd love to understand that a bit. You've got... A lot of money being spent on this by Goldcorp previously, and you picked it up. You know, well, we'll get into the numbers in a second. You've obviously, obviously picked it up at for a reasonable sum, but your ASIC is really low. I mean, really low. You know, it's not just sure. sub six hundred bucks. It's you know, it's it's getting down. You know, getting much lower than that. There's a lot to like about it. So, what's the problem? Well, I mean, I don't necessarily know there's a problem. I, I mean, I think that no doubt we, uh, since we got involved um, uh, previously, Tahoe with their Escobar project had a, had a challenge, uh, and it was in the courts uh, really around the ILO 169 consultation, and, and the outcome of that as it moved through the courts uh, was was fine until it got to the Constitutional Court and they reversed the decision. And so that's all ultimately been you know a big speaking point, less so today, to be honest, because I think as as investors have actually come down and had a look themselves, uh, they've come away and been much more comfortable that it's not, it's kind of a bit of an apples to oranges comparison. We're, you know, we're three hours down the Pan American Highway uh, and largely in an agrarian sort of farming community that is Latino. Uh, and in fact, as I said, we've had, um, you know, some of the recent IFIs, the uh, corporate uh, commercial banks uh, and all their independent engineers and independent ENS uh, folks, uh, environmental and social, uh, come down and, and visit the project as well and, and really give us some very strong I chance. get that. I guess so that. I think, so I, I, I think, yeah, so I, I think that's probably part, part of it. There's no doubt yeah. um, in terms of the overhang. Um, but but nonetheless, as well, of course, we're, we're a company that, as I often affectionately say, when you think about uh, the definition of risk in the mining dictionary, well, guess what? I mean, Bluestone's one of those. We've got a project that we've got to finance. We've got to build it. We got to commission it. We got to bring it on, and it's our it's our only project, right? So from from a risk reward perspective, there's huge reward here. Um, but if we look back over the last sort of one to two years, really, I think the investors that have been focused on say precious metals have been more kind of gravitating to the cash flow stories, the ones that are actually producing, uh, and that's very typical. So as things sort of continue to move on here, things will gravitate down into developers, and there's just not many high grade gold projects that are coming down the pipeline in the next two years. Yeah, but the, you, I mean, you've definitely got high grade. The, the, the grades are good, around, you know, just over 10 grams per ton. Uh, I say we, we talk about the ASICs. I think it's it should be talked about. It's one of, one of the lowest we've seen. Um, I've only seen Grand Columbia come in lower. Um, but your share price isn't reacting to all of these positive, you know, components. Um, it, it really hasn't, you know. If, if, any, if anything, if it wasn't for the bump in gold, it, you know, I, I'm not sure where it would be today so again i come back to that you've identified a few things that you see as the cause for that but you know what have you been doing about that in terms of getting out there you've got some investors have come in and they think the country's great and the the, the project's great but 
the rest of the market, if the, you know, you can't expect everyone to turn up. So, you know, what are you going to do about telling that story? Sure. Well, I, I mean, I, I think when you look at our shareholder register, arguably we've got one of the stronger registers out there for a junior company. I mean, the Lendine family sits on 35% of the company. Mm. Uh, the Lendine fab- family over the last number of decades have made a fortune on investing in high quality projects uh, that are going to be mines, uh, f- first and foremost. Uh, and as you work down the list through CD Capital and many other institutions, whether they be in Europe and North America, I think, you know, you have to be patient. Things don't happen exactly like that. I think, you know, as an in- indication of the quality of this project, uh, when we think back here only a few months ago in February, when nobody was actually talking about or thinking about precious metals, we went to the marketplace uh, and we had a $10 million bot deal financing to allow us to continue here, obviously, with the technical work. As we move through the finance, the project financing, we came away with 22. Up until here, call it two or three months ago, that was the largest bought deal or one of the largest bought deals in the junior mining space full stop mm-hmm. throughout Canada. And so for a project that, um, yes, obviously we're in the development curve, I think it has had very good response. Uh, and so we'll keep working at it. My experience is that, you know, these things don't happen overnight. Uh, and um, we've got a great project that's advanced. It's had a lot of capital invested in it. The numbers speak for themselves. At today's gold price, this thing has you know a 50% IRR and will pay itself back in a year and a half. And that's why those commercial banks and those large sort of tend to be more conservative institutions uh, we're engaging with right now and have had very good feedback around this project finance. Are they, wor- are they worried about the life of mine? I mean, it's eight-year life of mine. That's pretty short, right? Look, Low sulfidation epithermal systems. I don't know what your experience is, but uh, uh, I have a recent experience when I was was with Oceana. We acquired the Wahi mine from Newmont. That mine originally was developed in 1988 with an eight-year mine life. This year, year 31. They've just permitted for another 10 years. This mine will be operating for 15 years from now. It's it's a you know gold and quartz veins. Uh, we're actually expanding that right now. So we really we kicked off a program in December to move. Uh, inferred material into into measured and indicated through infill and you'll see in the results that we've been putting out every three to four weeks that we're getting some great great results and really more importantly it's firming up our confidence in the in the geologic model and we're finding that these veins that are in inferred in fact they're we've got you know veins that are, are currently um have got the grades or grade and widths uh that are in some cases further down in the ore body that we're now drilling out up up higher uh, and moving inferred into indicated. So we know that they're mineable because they're currently in the mine plant. So it's going to grow, um, and uh, but not atypical at all for a, a vein-type system to have eight or ten years in front of it as opposed to a porphyry where you can, you know, drill out 30 years in a hurry. Right. Okay, understood. So you, you've, got, you've got a lot of institutional money in there. And do you think that's the problem? Because the institutional money, they're not trading. Uh, well, I mean, if you, if, you look at the, uh, if you look at the liquidity... Um, when you run down through the Lendine family, uh, CD Capital, management, uh, Gold Corp's position, which of course is now Newmont, just in those four baskets, you have roughly 65% of the stock. Uh, and then when you add on the institutional, um, you know, kind of holders, obviously, and you start getting chunky three and four percent positions, uh, you know, no doubt, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of that's actually sitting tight. And, and, and guys that have come in and made an investment last year or this year or even 18 months ago are not here to trade it. They're here to see this mine financed and brought on and, and generating more free cash flow in the first year of annual production than the market cap today. Yes. Uh, so that is a driver. Um, we we are spending more and more time, though, definitely on 
family offices, uh, retail brokers, that sort of thing. Uh, and believe it or not, you know, our trading liquidity today is much better than it was 24 months ago on the back, back of that. But it takes time um, for sure. Okay. And, and so where are you having these conversations? You mentioned Europe a second ago. So it sounds like you're trotting around the world. Well, I mean, I haven't, I haven't been through Europe in a few months, but we've got a number of followers in, uh, in Northern Europe, uh, you know, in places like Liechtenstein and Switzerland and Norway and Sweden, uh, but also in the Middle East, also in uh, California, also in, you know, obviously in, in small towns here in British Columbia as well. So, no, I mean, we, we're trying to maintain a top of mind focus, there's no doubt. Uh, I think the project itself uh, actually, you know, kind of matches up very well, obviously, from an economics perspective, mm-hmm. from the advanced nature, the fact that if we had the project financing in place today, we'd be building a mine. We have our approvals in order to do that. So let's talk about the project finance, for instance. And I know you're in a, it's a kind of, I call it a very boring phase. You're, you've got your PFS, you're waiting to work out how you structure your finance. Uh, so there's a lot of waiting around. So where are you with that? What can you tell us? Yeah, it's probably any, I mean, going back to your earlier point as well around, okay, so the market and response, I mean, you're exactly right, right? I mean, we're, we're obviously a little bit like a duck on water, right? I mean, the duck doesn't appear to be moving, but the, the feet underneath are really obviously paddling. Uh, so we kicked off the process in April. Uh, and uh, and we're really um, we're kind of running through the process with a, with quite a wide range of groups. I mean, from your um, your private equity type shops that are um, of course very active in the financing over the last two to three years in the metals and mineral space, and then your more traditional commercial banks, your international financial institutions, as well as um, export credit agencies, and then. And then having discussions as well with some of the streaming groups uh, as well. And I can't tell you right now as to how the alchemy is going to kind of all come together. Mm. What we've uh, what we've done is uh, here over the last, I uh, call it eight weeks, we've had uh, independent engineering groups come down uh, really as part of that independent engineering review process of the asset on behalf of, of on behalf of the banks. And then also the uh, environmental and social reviews uh, and teams come down and, and really kind of understand the project and and the communities and the dynamic with government, et cetera. Uh, and very pleased in terms of how that's gone. I, I was down in Guatemala here three times in the last uh, two and a half months for those uh, those visits. And uh, you know, I, I, going back to my earlier point, I, I think that perception often is one thing when we come to you know visit countries. I had the same thing, uh, and people you know come away and say, "Wow, okay, this wasn't what I was expecting." Mm. Um, so I'm very confident. I mean, our timeline we've we've stated to the market we're hopeful to have the financing in place by the end of the year. I think there's a possibility, depending on which route we go, it may trickle into the first quarter, but we'll be looking to have some sort of tranche of financing in place before right. then so we can actually get going on the construction. Okay, can I ask you about that? Because I'm, I'm always interested in what the, how the management team think and they behave. So you're suggesting to me that you've got the choice as to what type of money you're going to take, right? You're, you're saying people are liking what, what they're hearing and you're talking to multiple types of money. And I always say money's money. It's, it's a question of what it's going to cost you uh, and, the, and the terms that you're held to, right? So you're telling yeah. me you've got choice. How are you guys thinking about this? You've mentioned royalty streaming in there as well. So the, you've got lots of optionality, but what are you looking for? Is it just literally how much, the, the cheapest money we can get? Or is there more to yeah. it? Yeah. No, I mean, I, that's obviously a huge consideration. Um, but, you know, everything comes with a cost, right? And so while your, you know, your overall cost may be um, lower on a, on, a, on a sort of the, the term sheet, uh, there may be other considerations in terms of, you know, how that's actually paid back, the tenor, of course, 
uh, and other sort of restrictions in terms of how we actually manage the construction and our cash flows. And so, um, you know, from from our perspective, I think it, I've said really at the very get go. I mean, uh, you know, I want you know the best cost of capital with the best execution uh, on the other side and the most flexibility. Uh, and on the other side of the table, from a financing group, of course, they want you know, the best return than they can get with the best execution as well. And, and they're obviously investing in the, in the management team and our ability to execute and deliver on this and then pay back the investment. Okay. And so, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so so I think from our perspective, um, again, don't know what the alchemy is going to look like. We're, we, we think that because of the returns and, and obviously the margins and what we're hearing from, from the banking partners, the ability to have uh, you know, a fair amount of leverage here is good because right now, as I said, at today's gold price, this asset pays itself back in less than two years. Um, but but we'll see. We'll see how everything kind of matches up. So if I look at the, you know, some of your production figures here, you're skewing it heavily towards the first three years. I'm imagining that's because of what you say about this type of ore body. You think you'll be able to run this thing for 15 years, not just the eight years life of mine that currently stated. So. Have you done that based on the mining or have you done that based on the need to impress the financiers? Sure. Uh, no, to be honest, it's it's a natural way to, to progress with regards to when you're doing your development. So when you run your, in, in our case, it's underground, so you're a scope optimizer uh, and you put all your cost model and everything in. I mean, you know, the, the model itself is going to want to drive for great. Uh, and if it drives for grade, it means you've got higher grade areas and the same amount of tons of rock. It means your production profile comes forward. That obviously helps the overall economics as well when you look at it from an NPV or an IRR perspective. And so that's what you're really seeing there is that some some of the the mining up front is actually pulling out higher grade stopes, uh, which is really driving some of that production numbers up front. We're, we're quite confident that, you know, as we continue, and we're doing this now over the last six uh, six months, as we continue to upgrade resources from inferred into indicated, they will work their way into the mine plan, mm. uh, and you'll see that production profile then continue to stretch out. Okay, okay. It, yeah, well, I'd lo love, to, love to see how that does develop. Um, again, something you mentioned earlier, the board of directors, you, you've got some big names on there, not, not least of all the sort of Lundin family. I, I, I know William. Leo, um, are they all full time? They can't be. They're advisory, are they? Well, I mean, as a, as a board member, I mean, it, most of these guys have got other things that they're focused on. Yeah. But uh, you know, we we have fairly good and robust discussions. I mean, for the most part, we're getting together every three months. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you know, sometimes less than that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we're very fortunate to have, and I think more importantly, quite a diverse range of experiences because. For a company such as ourselves, it's moving really forward through that feasibility, financing, then ultimately construction development, and then into operations. Like, uh, you know, in many regards, those are almost two entirely different businesses, right? You know, from the start to the finish. Uh, and so, you know, I've, I have a lot of experience on moving through that uh, with Oceana Gold as we built and operated our own mines, uh, you know, in, in Southeast Asia and the United States, uh, as well as in New Zealand. Uh, and when you look at uh, our board, quite a range of experience has been very helpful so far. And, and I think the other thing that's really important to point out as well, one of the things that we did when we kicked off this project, and I you know, had this discussion with uh, John Robbins, our chairman, before I joined, uh, was we established a technical advisory committee. And that, that committee, we've had so much good feedback on it. That uh, TAC, as we referred to it, really acted as a peer review over the feasibility study. Mm -hmm. uh, and these guys are, are some of the you know, most well-recognized individuals in their space, whether it be underground mining, resource estimation, water and hydrology, processing, uh, mine building. 
uh, at Geotech, for example, and we've had a lot of good feedback on that because you, you rarely, in fact, most of the comments we've had, you rarely see a junior company go through that effort to do it. Um, but from my perspective, it was so important because we don't have a floors full of people um, that we can call on from technical expertise. And as we work through that feasibility study, it was important that we were asking the right questions and they'll stay, that group will, will kind of continue to act as a sounding board as we work through the project. So how do you, how do you remunerate these guys? You've got seven people on the board. That's a lot of, that's a lot of people for, as you say, a junior. I um, appreciate your 80 million market cap now, but that's only a recent thing. So how, how do you remunerate these guys? What do they expect from you? Sure. So from, uh, I guess, kind of splitting it up, uh, the TAC, the Technical Advisory Committee, are non-board yeah. you know, non members. Uh, so, yeah, and, and solely really as a sounding board. And so that's really just ad hoc on a per hour basis. Uh, right. So not a huge cost at all. And in fact, I tell you that these are cheap dollars compared to building something that doesn't work on the back end. And there's plenty of experiences on that. So it's important not to step in the same bear traps that in many cases have been stepped in you know, over the last 10 or 20 or 30 years in our industry. Um, from the board perspective, it's very, very similar to what any other sort of junior company. It's a small stipend, uh, uh, you know, per board member. Uh, and then for, you know, those that chair a committee, for example, the audit committee or um, uh, the technical committee, for example, uh, they would get a few thousand dollars more per year. Um, but it's uh, not, not a big cost by any means. And at the end of the day, I mean, you kind of get involved in this space because you like the people that are around you uh, and you're excited about the prospects to you know, oversee value for shareholders. Not, not always. I've, I've seen some fantastic well, salaries, which, and the word stipend wouldn't be applied. So, well, uh, yeah, yeah, well, not, not on the board. And you, and you can look up our filings. Oh, yeah, uh, it's no all public information uh, for sure. Yeah. And I encourage and, and always no encourage people to. doing this to get rich. <laughs> That's exactly why they're doing it, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, not, not in this case. Okay. Um, can we talk about some of the numbers? So, uh, you know, if I look at the, um, I look, you know, you're talking about all this, this free cash flow and I, you know, I, I, you know, and I think you did, you did say it earlier and I think it's worth saying again, you generate more free cash flow than the current market cap in the first year of production. So, you know, it, it, you, you guys are going to throw off cash. The goal I see it is to extend the mine life. And you believe that you're going to be able to do this, but um, how much money are you spending in total getting this thing into production? You know, you've got about a between sustaining and initial capital, you've got about 340 million. I mean, what what other monies are involved? In terms sure. Of well, the, you know, the initial capital, the sustaining capital that you see there is is predominantly going to be underground development, right? I mean, so mm. you know, the objective here is to get the underground uh, development to a, a position. By the time the plant turns on, that you're presenting ore out of stopes and you're mining stopes. Yeah. Uh, so that in, that initial capital number is about two hundred million dollars. The plant right. itself is fairly modest; it's fifty to sixty million dollars, and so uh, it's a small plant. And and it's a small plant; it's a small footprint. I often say you could fit this mine into a Walmart parking lot. Quite frankly, right. not what we envision in terms of mines today. And so. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a significant chunk there, obviously, on, on developing the underground. We already have three and a half kilometers of underground uh, uh, tunnels, primarily due to primary development. Yeah. But that needs to be expanded. Of course, you need to then start doing the work on the veins and opening up the veins. And you come back. I mean, we haven't talked about that enough. You, you've inherited a lot of infrastructure, right? A lot of t tunnels, etc. A lot of work has gone into this. What was the number? 200? Yeah, about 200 million, more than 200 million, in fact, about 180 million went into, um, or 160 million, I guess, probably closer to 180 million now, 
uh, into the gold project, and then the geothermal project as well had another, you know, call it sixty or seventy million dollars so invested. Let's, in so it. let's stick with gold for now. So of the hundred sixty yep. million, what was that spent on, and what's usable sure. for you today? Sure. Uh, so um, for for those of you know of your viewers, just so they understand, I mean this this project has been around for call it fifteen years. Uh, Glamis was actually the one that did the majority of the early work after Mar West made the discovery. Mm. And so when we arrived, there was 120, 125,000 meters of drilling. Right. Um, there was three and a half, three to three and a half kilometers of underground development that was done, done down into the ore body. There was a water treatment plant. You had all sorts of surface facilities as well, generators, et cetera, to, to generate power. Right. Um, and, and then of course the feasibility studies and all the technical work that's gone in alongside that. Now, you know, being honest, when we think about that, call it 160, $170 million that have been sunk into the, the project to date, how much of that was money good? I don't know, maybe 120, something like that, because there was a four and a half year period of time where uh, the project was put on care and maintenance. Yeah, And so when we arrived, uh, you know, like really there hadn't been much happening there. There hadn't been geologists on the project for almost five years. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the background to that, and, and most people kind of then ask the question, well, how, how did you acquire something that had more than $200 million invested in it for 18 million bucks? Uh, it doesn't really make sense. And you're right. I mean, <laughs> it kind of doesn't make sense. Um, but, but what happened there is that, you know, Gold Corp, uh, when Gold Corp acquired Glamis, Glamis's primary business was in the Americas, right? Central America, Honduras, Guatemala then later in Mexico. Uh, and, and at Gold Corp, they had been running the Marlin mine in, in Guatemala, first quartile producer, producing a quarter of a million ounces a year. And the whole sort of premise was that the Cerro Blanco was the next development project that as Marlin continued to add mine life and extend its mine life, producing a quarter of a million ounces, you could produce 150,000 ounces from Cerro Blanco. You'd have 400,000 ounces from Guatemala, first quartile cost. And so in 2010, 2011, when the push was on for growth, um, there was a decision made within in Gold Corp to just start the underground decline, get down into the ore body, and fast track that asset to be complementary with Marlin. Um, but then, of course, 2013 happened. Gold price goes down. Uh, and I think what you probably saw there was you know, companies were looking, well, how can we trim our capital how can we pull back in terms of the cash that's going out the door and so the project then at that point was put on care and maintenance they were focusing on trying to extend the mine life of marlin which is 11 hours away by car uh, in guatemala uh, and while they were successful in adding a couple of years not substantially and so when the new management team came in uh, effectively in 2016 i think it was um, they made a decision 2015 i guess 2015 16 they made a decision that you know they're not going to hang around in Guatemala for a project that is going into effectively closure, being Marlin, and 150,000 ounce producer. That the focus needs to be on big camps, and and they made an acquisition of of Kamenak here in in, in Yukon for 520 million dollars. The chairman and founder of that company, John Robbins, our, our chairman, and so he got to know the Gold Corp guys, and uh, and after they sold uh, Kamenak, just uh, you know opened up a line of of communication and. Um, and they say is you know the rest is history. Okay, so, so but you're not you're not get. Do you think you're getting any value for that? But you're like you're 80 million market cap today, right? And that, as I say, it's a recent thing. But are you getting any value for any of that gold corporate investment? Uh, well, I, I think that when folks come down and take a look, they realize that you've got you know. Well, well, it that, looks like a mine. It doesn't have a process plan. But that's uh, that's so, folks. I'm talking about the market. What's the market giving you credit for? Is it your sure. feasibility study? Is it answers in the ground? Is it all that data you've inherited? What is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's a tough question. I think in terms of 
what we're getting value for. I mean, you, when you when you look at it, I mean, ultimately, uh, you know, our job is to take what we've got and turn it into something that's generating cash flow. Yeah. Um, can you know is twenty percent of the value associated with the Sun Capital? I, I honestly can't tell you that, okay. but I can tell you that it provides a very clear picture when folks come down yeah. uh, and they have the perception and they see what's there. Uh, and case in point, you know, that financing we did earlier this year, nobody was raising money. Everybody kind of scratched their head and said, you know, Bluestone, $10 million bought deal. Good luck. Yeah. Two weeks later, it's $22 million. Uh, and so I think, you know, proof really um, is demonstrated in terms of what we've been able to do in a short period of time. Uh, and I fully recognize we're a little bit like a salmon swimming upstream here, okay? Um, but but you watch. Uh, in 24 months, uh, we're going to be on the verge of producing gold. What are you going to do with all that money? That's that's a Hollywood problem. Uh, don't worry about that. <laughs> well, I no, do. I, I mean, do. Is, like... it, is it coming back in? Is it coming back in dividends? Is it is it going to be yeah. stuck in the ground? Well, is anyone making no. money here? Yeah. So, you know, so from the, from the perspective of, of where I sit and, um, you know, my past experience when we were with Oceana Gold, uh, we were, again, a little bit like a salmon swimming upstream. Gold price goes down in 2013. The largest companies in our space were busy cutting capital, cutting dividends, shutting down offices. Oceana Gold had just been successful on bringing on the Didipio project, made money. It didn't matter what the gold and copper price was. We were in initiating a dividend. Uh, I like getting my dividend checks, quite frankly. Um, but, you know, for, for our perspective, and I've had this question before from many of our investors in Europe in particular, you know, what's going to happen with the cash flow, Darren? Uh, I said, well, look, first and foremost, we're going to borrow uh, and we're going to borrow to build this mine. So we need to pay back our, our debt holders, obviously. Um, but you're darn right. I like the idea of dividends. And this, this asset will allow it for a huge opportunity to return capital to shareholders to continue to invest and drive really growth in those 10 gram per 10 ounces, which effectively is what this deposit's about, and create other opportunities for us going forward. But first things first, let's focus on getting this finance, let's focus on getting it executed and built, bringing it on, uh, and then we'll start having those discussions in more robust uh, fashion. Absolutely, but you know, I, I'm trying to give people a morsel of what is to come. You're, you're painting a picture here with your numbers and the process and the stage you're at. People want to know what kind of board you've got. What are they doing? Okay, we, we've talked about dividends. Fantastic. But are you going to use that money for growth or is this a short window, make hay while the sun shines and then we'll move on to the next thing? Well, I, I think that we've got the, uh, the team here. I mean, most of us have come from uh, organizations that are you know, larger companies, fast growing sort of mid-tier companies. And we've, we've kind of jumped in with both feet here and, and you know, some would look and say, well, geez, that's really risky. Well, I mean, this is an advanced asset. That's a great asset that we're going to build. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we'd love to continue building a company and use this as a great platform. I mean, where else can you find a business that is going to generate more free cash flow in its first year of production than the market cap, right? So a great place to start. Um, but, you know, we, we've also got plenty of, you know, bumps along the way that we got to get through. So, no, I mean, my vision for the company is, is ultimately to get this up and get it going uh, and then use that cash flow to pay back our debt uh, and, and then, you know, start to look at things like returning capital to the shareholders. I'm a shareholder. I, you know, I, we, all, we all love our dividend checks. Uh, and I think that uh, it sends a very clear message uh, to investors in the market on capital discipline capital allocation there's no reason why uh, there shouldn't be able you shouldn't be able to initiate some sort of even if it's a modest dividend and then depending on how the company is doing on a 
annual basis than issue a special dividend. And that's what my experience in the past, and it's worked very well. Which is fantastic. And that's the kind of, I understand you're looking at the, the, the next few hurdles and you don't want to look out too far down the line. But again, it'd be just interesting to just get a sense of you're going to build this business with this asset, single asset in this country. You know, you're, you're, you've, you're in, you're in uh, Guatemala. But what, what could the future hold? Are you looking to build a mid-tier producer? With the current asset, you're not going to do that with, you know, on average, 100,000 ounces, well, just slightly over 116,000 ounces a year. Um, how, how do you make that bigger? Do you want to make it any bigger? Sure. Well, without a doubt, uh, you know, a single asset companies uh, inherently have additional risk. Uh, and I know that. I mean, that was one of the things that, um, when we were, when I was with Oceana Gold, and we went through quite an aggressive uh, space where we were acquiring assets and uh, and acquiring other companies yeah. that we brought to the table, right? And so, uh, the fact is, is that you know we're not making widgets. You know, quarter to quarter, things go up, things go down. Uh, volatility is not something that typically most market participants like. Uh, and so, you know, looking for opportunities where, you know, we can potentially grow or merge or find like-minded sort of management teams to put together quality assets, um, then I think without a doubt. I'm not, I'm not a huge advocate, um, you know, I'd have to say in terms of, you know, diversifying for geopolitical risk per se. There's been you know, more examples, I think, of that not working out well because you dilute the quality of the asset that you have so that you've got another jurisdiction that you have to deal with. Mm the end of the day, you know, 80% of our job as managers is to manage risk. Uh, and what better way to manage risk than understand your business, understand the moving parts and try and be proactive rather than reactive. So uh, without a doubt, fully cognizant, single assets, you want to have other baskets of eggs spread around, uh, but it's got to be the right baskets. Right. And, and what what is your board telling you they want to do? And what are your major investors, what Lundin family for a start? What are they telling you they want you to do? Look at the short term or look a little bit further out? Yeah, I think it's more short to medium term right now. Uh, again, because, you know, go back to my analogy. We are a little bit like a salmon swimming upstream here. We got to get this financed. We got to, you know, kick things off and, uh, and get the project going. And, um, you know, and, and we've talked a little bit earlier as well around the fact that we are in Guatemala and in a developing country. So the yeah. focus is more on the, on the short to medium term, I think, as we put these building blocks in place to get us to the next stage, to move into that construction development phase. Mm. Um, but this will be okay. a good discussion to have around the board meeting in 24 months if we're talking about dividends. Yeah, okay. Well, okay, that, that, that's, that's fine. Um, let's just finish off and talk about the geothermal component. 60 million bucks spent on it. By who, why, and what are you going to do with it? Sure. So uh, it was Goldport that did it. Uh, they put $60 million in. There's a lot of drilling and, and studies that have gone in, really using uh, New Zealand experts. The, you know, the Kiwis are some of the best in the world when it comes to geothermal. Uh, and the whole premise around that at the time was that the, the power grid was about 35 kilometers away. Uh, and we were in that period of time when oil was going to, you know, $140, $150 a barrel, and there was still quite a significant component of power in Guatemala uh, that was really related to carbon, coal, uh, oil bunker fuel. Uh, fast forward to where we are today, the grid's now within effectively seven kilometers. Uh, the spot power rates in Guatemala are about five cents a kilowatt hour. There's been new hydro that's come on. Obviously, the oil prices come down as well, but the dependency on bunker fuel is fairly low. 
uh, and they're actually exporting, Guatemala is exporting power both to Mexico and also to El Salvador. So, so from our perspective right now, we've kind of taken a plain vanilla approach. We will pull power off the grid. That's seven or eight kilometers. We'll string the lines. Uh, obviously, very reasonable price power and one of the competitive advantages we have. But we did do some work last year using some experts in California on what's currently been identified from a geothermal perspective. And it would appear as though in the intermediate horizon, there's probably five to 10 megawatts of power that's already been defined. There's no plant there yet. Uh, and so it definitely creates an opportunity for us as we go forward. There's the potential here to, you know, to produce power and potentially be you know, the world's first zero carbon footprint gold mine. Um, but, uh, but what's the reality? Is that a distraction? Well, it, and that's the reason why we really, um, I think, carved them out here 18 months ago when we were kicking off the feasibility study, I guess, 24 months ago. Uh, we just said, look, let's keep it plain vanilla. You know, we've got enough things to worry about here. If power was 25 cents a kilowatt hour off the grid, this would be a different discussion. Um, but it's, it's a unique opportunity. Uh, there's definitely value there. We are getting inbound queries once every month, once every two months from different partners that are interested in partnering with us on it. Um, but uh, let's just see how things go here over the next few months. Okay, Darren. That, yeah, I think, I think that's a fair point. Um, Darren, thanks very much for that story. Um, it's, a, it's a first introduction for all of our listeners, viewers, followers. Um, really enjoyed listening to it. it was, I've been keen to um, talk to you for some time. Keep us up to date with how things move. I appreciate you going through this process of financing towards between now and the end of the year, but we'd love to, love to um, keep up with the story. Well, thanks very much for the opportunity. Great to be on, and, and you bet there's lots to happen. So maybe in a few months, we can hop back on and have another discussion. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.